0: everybody welcome to bible study good to see you tonight glad you're here Let's take a little bit, pray, and then we'll get started with the Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just the opportunity to meet together. Opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. Opportunity to meet with you. Opportunity to hear from you. Opportunity to experience your presence. We ask that we would recognize uh, that you are here in our midst, that you're here to teach us. And I just ask you tonight that we would have an open heart and open mind. That we'd be open to receive all that you want to say and all that you want to do in our lives. So, Father, we yield ourselves to you. We say, "Have your way." Uh, we want to hear from you tonight. We want to be changed. We want to be challenged. Uh, just God move. We give you thanks. We give you praise. Uh, we ask you blessing on our time. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com, that's dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you, could be just saying Hi. Or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. Could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, let's open to the book of Philemon. Philemon. If you need a Bible, just uh, locate on the tables there where you are. Philemon. I'll give you a second to find that. It's like a page long. Yeah, I know. Philemon one six somebody gets that, you can read it. Philemon 1 and 6. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share with the same Alright, thanks for reading that. Now this is Paul. He's writing to Philemon. Philemon uh, is in the city of uh, uh, Colossae. Uh, he is, uh, when you see the book to the Colossians, he is, uh, that's the church that meets in his house. And so he's the guy in charge. And so Paul is writing him, uh, this is a separate letter uh, to from the Colossian letter. He has a specific reason for writing this letter uh, concerning a runaway slave uh, that has been working with Paul. And Paul was writing to speak to Philemon to see about, uh, granting him his freedom. And so, and not holding against him the fact that he ran away. And so, in the beginning of the letter, Paul is praying for Philemon. And you see, as he's praying for Philemon, a general idea, uh, begins to emerge. Uh, and it's one of those things where, this is a personal letter, but there's certain things that Are general. There's certain things that are. They go beyond just the relationship that Paul had with him. It's something that applies beyond one person and one situation. So, that's what I want to look at is the idea that is being presented here through the prayer and verse six in 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 particular, uh, and see how that applies maybe to us and applies to where we're at today. Uh, he begins by talking about, about sharing in what we believe. And we tend to call that evangelism for us. Uh, it's how we go about doing whatever we do as we share the gospel with people. But part of the philosophy behind that type of evangelism is that you share what you've experienced. Uh, you share what you know. And, and that's something we've always encouraged people to do if they're going to go out and they're going to share anything about their faith. When you begin to share beyond that what you've experienced, you begin to share beyond that what you know, uh, that's how you get into arguments with people. Uh, because then it's just a discussion of ideas and not a discussion of experience. So if I've had an experience with God and I'm going to share about that, Uh, A person, pretty much the argument comes down to the person is either going to hear what I have to say or just call me a liar to my face. And that's it. Because we're not sharing about ideas anymore. In particular, we're sharing about my experience. And so I'm going to share about my experiences with people. And if they want to call me a liar, that's fine. But I'm not going to get trapped into some philosophical debate with somebody about some idea that I haven't actually experienced something I haven't actually had any contact with Uh, because to me that's a waste of time and so as we have moved forward into a philosophy of evangelism and this was way from the very beginning going way 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 back uh, we made a decision right off as we were starting out that we're going to stick to the things that we know and we're going to stick to the things that we've experienced we're going to stick to the things that are already a part of our lives and so we're not going to argue about ideas. We're not going to argue about philosophies. We're not going to argue about any of those things. We're just going to talk about this is my experience. I had this experience with Jesus. Jesus spoke to me and said this. Or whatever it is that I want to share about or whatever it is that I want to talk about, this is what my relationship with Jesus looks like. And that's what I'm going to share with you. And so, again, if somebody wants to call me a liar or whatever, that, that's up to them. That's okay. And, and I, can, I can live with that but I'm going to at least share this is my story. This is what I have seen. This is what I have heard. This is what I have experienced. And that's what I'm willing to share with somebody, willing to pour out for somebody. And they can do with it what they want. So what you see going on here is you see a sharing of faith. And and that's what Paul is talking about, sharing what we believe. And, and what he's really talking about here, because faith, uh, for I I guess for people, can be this abstract idea. In other words, faith is, and they define faith somehow. Like you can use a definition in the Bible, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, philosophically, that's true. Definition-wise, that's true. But the type of faith that Paul is talking about is a faith that actually is going to mean something to somebody. Something that they can actually see, something they can feel, something they can touch, something that actually has something to do with their life. And so this kind of a faith that Paul's talking to Philemon about is a practical is a faith that actually gets lived out. And and so it's a faith that is energetic or is full or is effective, is operative, is active. Uh, It has to do with actually doing something, living something out. And as part of it, there's an idea of knowledge. And as part of it, there's an idea of understanding. But the knowledge and the understanding part don't overshadow the action part. The, The part that goes on internally in this type of faith isn't overwhelming the part that has to be expressed externally. And and so the reason I'm pointing this out is because I think as we look at certain ideas within the gospel, we need to really sit down and think about okay, what is this actually going to look like when it's lived out because that's what's really going to matter. I mean, Jesus could have come and you think about the ministry of Jesus. He's the he's the originator. Jesus is the gospel. And so you look at the ministry of Jesus. And before he started going around and doing the things that he did, and so I'm going to say the first 30 years of his life, he didn't really have a lot to say that we know of. In other words, he, he had been left behind in Jerusalem. He had been uh, in, in conversation with the scholars of the day. In Jerusalem, when he was 12 years old, or however old he was, we know that. We know a few things about his life before he was 30, but not too much. Because the Bible is pretty silent on what he had to say. Uh, Because what he had to say really wasn't that important yet to what was about to happen. And so when you start reading about, well, what does Jesus have to say? Well, in conjunction with that is him moving forward and doing the things that he was going to do. So you've got a doing part of it and you've got a talking part of it. And, and that's the presentation of the gospel that we've been modeled. That, that's what we see. Because that's what Jesus did. He can talk about healing. That's alright. But he's going to heal people. He can talk about the power of God, but there's going to be power manifest where he's at. He can talk about uh, believing the gospel. Well, he's going to show you what that looks like in action. And in practicality, what does it mean? And what does it look like? And how is that manifest in and through a person's life? Well, he was the embodiment of that. And so he was out living out his faith and demonstrating what faith is supposed to look like. It wasn't just an idea. And it wasn't just a concept. It wasn't just a a, a philosophy. But... When he got down to time to talk about it, and you, you see his first message, you see, it's a pretty simple thing. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what we're told. That's how he went out and preached. Repent and believe the gospel. So he instructions all right, so I want you to turn, go a different direction, and believe the gospel. Because that, even that message has an action step to it. I don't know if you noticed that. It wasn't just believe the gospel. It was repent. First thing you need to do is that word just means stop in your tracks, turn around and go the other direction. So there's an action step involved in that. So you're going to stop in your tracks, go in the other direction, repent. First part. Then he said believe the gospel. And so as that mixed together, it became an understanding of if you're going to believe the gospel, it requires and it is necessarily a change in your life, it's not just an act of, uh, of whatever, mental assent. Like in other words, I'm not just going to agree with this and that's all there is to it. There's something that needs to change. There's something that needs to happen differently in my life. Or the other part doesn't make any sense. And so he married the concepts and he married the ideas of, all right, got to do something and we're going to believe something. Well, believing something means we're going to do something. And so they're together. And so when Paul's talking to Philemon, he's talking about a faith, but it's not just a, well, I'm going to intellectually come up with this. That's not the kind of faith that's always talking about to Philemon. He's like, I'm talking about a faith that actually manifests into something. A faith that actually means something. A faith that actually gets somewhere and does something that affects people's lives. Not just talking about it, but actually living it. Not just concepts, But actual actions that are taking place that people can see and they can feel and they can hear and they can touch and they can touch them. Lives being changed. That's the idea behind our faith. Is that something needs to happen. Something's got to happen. And if nothing is happening, then it calls into question, what kind of faith are we really talking about here? Or is it faith at all? And so there has to be in here a marriage of those two things. And and, and that's what he's talking to Philemon about. It's a, it's a given. That this is what this is going to look like. We're going to share what we believe, meaning it's a faith that actually means something. It's actually full of something that's active, that's operative, and that's effective. And what happens is, is that if we share what we believe that way, when we get this opportunity, we're going to share our faith in this way that it's actually active, it's operative, and it's effective in people's lives. It gives other people an opportunity. It enables other people to share in that faith with us. Okay, that action is going to mean something more than a philosophy. That action is going to mean something more than an idea. And when you look at in in the world of ideas that we live in, everybody's got an opinion. Ideas are everywhere. Philosoph- philosophies are everywhere. There's good ones, bad ones, real thought out ones, ones that aren't very well thought out. I mean, it, there's all kinds of ways. But you know, it, it's always been the case: actions are going to speak louder, and they're going to mean more. And so, we're going to love people? Yeah, that, that means a lot more to somebody than talking about love. You're going to serve somebody? Your service in their life is going to mean something a lot more to them than talking about service. And, and it goes on and on. Because we can talk about, talk about, talk about, but talk, as we said a lot of times, and well-known saying, talk is cheap because it is. And your actions are going to mean something And it's going to be lasting in a person's life. It gives them and enables them the opportunity to share in the faith that you have. That's how we offer that opportunity. So, the true order of life with Jesus. Here's the true order of life with Jesus. I'm just going to give you this real quick. You have this idea of faith. And your faith, which again, everything I just said about faith, It involves action, it involves energy, it involves some, some type of movement. But faith is deepened by love. And then as that faith is deepened by love, it grows into a knowledge. Now, why is that important? Well, the reason I just gave you that order of things is because somehow, some way, we've put knowledge, we've taken knowledge out from the spot where it was at in the, god's order and we stuck that first but really knowledge isn't first because knowledge isn't going to be the thing that's going to change the world and, and i know that you know we've been told that most of us were brought up with this idea education is going to change the world well it hasn't yet all right in some ways it has Maybe not for the best and maybe not for the worst. I don't know. But it certainly hasn't lived up to the promises that we were given that was actually going to make this humongous difference in people's lives. And some people it does, but not the whole world. And I'm not down on education. Love it. Love going to school. Always love going to school. Always love learning stuff. I, I, I look for opportunities to do that. I take stuff I don't get any credit for. I like learning stuff so much. But I'm not delusional about it. Like, if you're following what I'm saying. Because knowledge is in, in the spiritual idea, in the spiritual order of God, it comes after faith, which is translating into our actions, being deepened by love, and then being led into a knowledge. But the knowledge never overshadows the other two. It never overshadows faith, and it never overshadows the love. And and it's first things first, because we need a lot of love before we need knowledge. We need a lot of faith and movement and action before we need knowledge. And so I'm just all I'm trying to give you is kind of an order of things I think got out of whack somewhere. It just it just got out of whack that people were thinking, well, if I just learn all this stuff, then I'll be effective for God. No, nah, if you love people, you'll be effective for God. Yeah, You, you move in faith and action, and you serve people, and you love people, you're going to be effective for God. Even if you never make step three. And the knowledge was never the thing that was going to change the world. All right, The disciples, early disciples, I mean, they weren't well educated. The 12, the 11 that were left, they were not well educated. In fact, they were barely educated. Regardless of what you see on television, I mean, they're fishermen. Or they're whatever they were. And so, they weren't necessarily, they're not theologians, they weren't, necess- they weren't rabbis, they weren't people that were necessarily brought up uh, in, in some kind of heavy-duty knowledge of the faith. They had a rudimentary knowledge of it, but that wasn't what was going to change the world. What was going to change the world was the fact they are going to go out in power in life, in faith, and they were going to love people, and that's what was going to change the world. They weren't going to change the world by arguing about it. They weren't going to change the world about, you know, having the best, uh, the best defense. And I know you see Paul debating, and I know you see this happening, but you look at, take an honest look into the book of Acts, and I, I'm going to make a statement here. You know, I might, like, might not like this. But you take an honest look into the book of Acts. And you look at times where it talks about Paul debating in the synagogues or or, or, you know, doing his thing where he's going to convince them all. And you look at the fruit of that when he does it. You know where you see the big fruit of Paul? When you see the power of God being manifested in his life and you see God moving through his life. That's when you see the big fruit. You know when you don't see the big fruit? When he's winning arguments in the synagogue. Not a lot of big fruit there. In fact, he got kicked out lots of times. Uh, left for dead, stoned to death, all these kind of stuff. But the fruit came through time spent. The fruit came through the actions that He took. The fruit came through the love that He shared and the power of God being manifest. Jesus, I mean, look at Jesus. I mean, was Jesus a big debater? Seriously? I mean, He'd take a stand with the Pharisees every now and then. Right? He'd take a stand when He needed to take a stand, but... He's really talking about a lot of stuff with relationship with God, talking about love, talking about, you know, things like that. Not arguing theology with people. Unless he was just pointing out hypocrisy. You know, like worrying about little bits of spice and little bits of mint instead of worrying about taking care of your parents or something. I mean, is that really a debate? I don't know that's a debate. It's like, okay, what's your priority? And that was really what he was trying to do with that. And so I, I, I'm only saying this because I just really believe that the fruit and the heart of what God's called us to, the heart of who God has called us to be, has to do with our, action, faith, our faith in action and the love of God and, and growing in that love and after that into more and more knowledge. So that's just, my, that's just what I believe. That's what I see in the Scriptures. And so I want to encourage you, if you're going to major on something, major on living out your faith, and major on the love of God in your life. Learn to just know God loves you. Learn to love other people with the love of God. You know, it starts with you knowing God loves you. What I say you share with people, it's what you know, right? Well, when you know God loves you, and you know God is patient with you, and kind with you, and long-suffering with you, and that... He, he is looking out for you and you really believe that in your life. You're able to share that with conviction. You really are. And so we need to major on those kind of things. I'm going to live out my faith. I'm going, to, I'm going to know what it is to be loved. I'm going to love people. And you major on those things, then we'll worry about the rest. And so he goes into this with Philemon and he talks about that true order of life with Jesus. And... And really, what this is talking about is a communion and a fellowship with our faith. And if you read the verse, you see those words in there. Uh, so the old King James talks about how it's a—it's um, not a conversation, it's, it's something like that. But it, 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 has, it uses a word that we don't use anymore in that way. And, and what it was really just talking about was a fellowship. What I was talking about was a communion. And so then the question comes up. And this is a, kind of a, a weird question with this. The question comes up, communion with who? So we have a communion in our faith with who? And so originally, if you look at like the way a lot of guys read this, like, okay, well, that just means communion with God. Right? And I agree with that. It does mean communion with God. But also implied in that is a communion with each other. And so that, I think it requires both. And, and that's, that's what our faith looks like. I've been talking about this whole time, but our faith looks like, okay, i got a communion with God. Is that all I need? No, that's not all I need. And I know there's guys out there that believe that, but I don't believe that. I cannot believe, and I do not believe, that all I need is just communion with God. He put us in the community. He did it for a reason. At no point in the future, in all of eternity, are you going to be alone with God. Do you? Find, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying here. There's a multitude of people going to be with us. And, and however you picture in your head, you can picture it any way you want. But the way I see it in the Scripture, the way I see it in the in the books that. The, the apocalyptic literature in the Bible that tells us what's going to happen, is like, we're going to all be in this together. And there's going to be a lot of people around. And, and if you're one of those people, you're like, no, I want my me time. I don't know about that. All right, I know it's this infinite time and infinite space and God can do anything He wants, but the pictures that we get of what it looks like is that we're in this together. And so there's this practicality of faith in that faith is, okay, between me and God, absolutely, but faith also between me and you. Because if faith has to do with a dynamic in my life, meaning it needs to be lived out somehow, well, that's lived out with other people. And so I've got this dynamic with God, I'm living it out with Him, okay, it's me and Him, good but I've also got this dynamic I'm going, if this is going to manifest through my life somehow. In other words, if my faith is actually going to mean something, well, it needs to mean something in other people's lives. It just, it just needs to. And, and that's my opportunity to see faith blossom in my life is my interactions with the people that are around me. Paul's talking to Philemon. He isn't just talking to him in a vacuum. Philemon has a church meeting in his house. There's people around. That's the center of spiritual activity in his area. And so because that's the center of spiritual activity, Paul's saying to him, it's like, you've got your faith, and there's this faith that we're in communion together with who? Well, with you and God, yes, but with you and all those people that come to your house every week. And so there's this dynamic of, all right, I got this faith, but what does that really mean? It means I've got to live it. What does that mean? That means I've got to interact. I've got to actually live it. It requires action. Because I can have a theory, of, well, how do I love people? Well, I can do A, B, C, and D, and I can list it all off and all that, but the actuality is I need to go out and love somebody. I need to go out and actually sacrifice. I need to go out and actually serve. And that's what it looks like. And that's how I really know what it is. That's how I grow in it. That's how it becomes something and a part of my life. It's not just an idea. And I don't know how to emphasize that more. And I really want to try to emphasize that more because it's not, people have heard something differently. They've heard something different their whole life. And so I'm trying to say something that is a take on that, but really take this into an area of, of service or takes us into an area of caring about people or takes us into an area of actually loving people, of actually putting it into practice and doing something about it, and a lot of us don't want to hear that because that's inconvenient and and in an effort to make Christianity the most convenient that we possibly can, we don't really talk about that. We talk about, okay, well you just believe and you do your thing, and you're all good. Well, that's convenient. It's convenient to not serve. It's convenient to not love people. It's convenient to not sacrifice for people around you. It's convenient to not prefer others over yourself. Even though the Bible tells us that, we just ignore that part. And and if we're going to actually practice preferring someone over ourselves, well, there has to be a someone, right? There's got to be someone else. And so we're, we're living in a community... And you can look at different levels of community around us, but we're living in community with people around us, and that's how we're actually going to love. Because I can tell you I love God, but what does that look like? I love God. Okay. What does that look like? Well, it needs to look like service and love and mercy and grace in people's lives around me. It needs to actually manifest. That's like people, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, if you've ever had somebody, oh, they'll tell you they love you. But that's just words, right? If somebody loves you, you're going to know they love you not just because they tell you. In fact, if someone really loves you, even if they don't tell you, I'm not recommending that, but if they didn't tell you, you'd still know they loved you because of their life with you. At least that's what I believe. You know, I didn't come from a family that was very demonstrative. I I didn't grow up that way. You know, we weren't lovey-dovey people. Me and my people. We weren't like, oh, I love you. I love you too. (laughs) Yeah, no. I don't remember ever. I don't think I ever told my cousin, hey, Rodney, I love you. That never happened. Richard, I love you. No. 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 None of that ever happened. I never said that to my Uncle Isaiah. Maybe I should have, but I didn't. He was deaf anyway, but it doesn't matter. Could've. But Uncle Isaiah know knew we loved him because we showed up to his house once a week to check on him. Uncle Isaiah knew we loved him because we took him to the doctor when he needed to go. And we took care of him and we cleaned his house when it needed to be cleaned and we brought him food when he needed food and we did the stuff that needed to be done so he could live his life. That's how he knew that we loved him. Even though I didn't necessarily say that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't express ourselves. Don't get me wrong. Alright? I had to learn how to do that. But I'm just saying that there's ways that love manifests if we're going to really live it out. And people can sense that. They can know that. They can receive that. A lot of things that we want to try to come up with the best words for are demonstrated much better. Much better than we're going to come up with the words for them. A lot of things that we don't know how to express are demonstrated in ways that people can actually understand them. divine knowledge needs application. It just needs application. And so, if if we're going to look at this, and and again, I'm not downgrading education, I'm just saying that divine knowledge, if we're going to gather divine knowledge, I want to know more about God. Well, there needs to be some application. Or it really doesn't mean much. And so, It, it, it's, I'm a big believer in reading the Bible. I read the Bible, again, you all know this, you've known me for years, I go through the Bible at least once a year. And it's something that's been important to me from the very start, from right, day I got saved was the day I started reading the Bible. I'm a big believer in it. But that knowledge, and any divine knowledge that I've ever acquired or gathered to myself, doesn't really mean anything if it's not applied somehow into my life. I mean, I was a real ringer at Bible trivia in my day. I mean, you get out one of those Bible trivia games, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Maybe not. But we'd play Bible trivia every now and then, and they'd ask it, you know, like there'd be these obscure questions, man, bang, bang, bang. I'm your guy. At least, at least back then. No, it was like, uh, what's, that, what's that game that everybody played? Trivial Pursuit. Trivial Pursuit, right. And so it was like that. You had the cards and everything. You get different decks of cards for it, right? And so back in the day, I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm on my game right this second, but I'm saying back in the day, man, I was like on that. It was, was like unbeatable. Everybody wanted to be my partner. But what does it mean, though? Not a lot, if there's no application. <laughs> if there's no application of it, it really doesn't mean that much. It means I'm really good at Bible trivia. <laughs> which, that doesn't really get me very far in seeing people coming into the kingdom. And seeing people coming into a relationship with Jesus. So, knowledge, divine knowledge, needs to be somehow, it requires and application into our lives. And so what happens is, as we're living it out, again, the order I gave you, there's faith being lived out, there's a deepening in love, and that, that, for a lot of us, is a matter of revelation, because we weren't loved a lot when we were little, or whatever the case may be, but there's that revelation, that deepening in love, and it's through that And the next step of that is knowledge and understanding in that order. And so what this begins to do is open up what is described in this verse as a complete understanding. But again, it starts with faith in action and a deepening love. And that opens up an opportunity for a complete understanding. Am I saying we're going to be... When I say complete, and that's kind of one of those words that you have to understand it for what it is. That means that doesn't mean I'm going to know everything. But it means that I'm going to have a deeper and more comprehensive understanding of the things that are presented to me. In other words, God's going to say A, B, or C. But I'm going to understand A, B, or C a lot more if my, my life is rooted and grounded in, a, in a, a faith of action and a deepening love of God. I'm going to have a better understanding of what He's saying. Because, I mean, you look at the way people interpret the Bible. I'm going to give you just a couple ways to think about this. You look at the way people interpret the Bible. And you can interpret the Bible however you're going to interpret it. But if I'm growing in a faith of action and I'm growing in a deepening love of God with God, then as I begin to interpret the Bible, I'm going to see things a lot differently than the person who isn't growing in a deep love. And I want you to think about that for a second. If you're coming from a perspective of loving God and Him loving you, and you're growing in that. If you're coming from a perspective of serving and loving other people and your faith actually meaning something and, and actually flowing through your life, well then the way you read the scripture, the way you understand what's being written there is going to be richer, deeper, and you're going to interpret that a lot just in a different fashion than the person that isn't living that way. And that's just a fact. That's why people, when they read the Bible, they see God, oh, wow, well, that's mean. When in fact, it probably isn't mean at all. But it's just the way you see it. It's the way you understand it. Oh, I, I don't agree with that. Agree with what? Because you probably see it in some weird way that has more to do with you than has to do with God. Oh, I don't like it. That, I don't like that. Well, right, because the way you're seeing it again, has more to do with your impatience, has more to do with your lack of love, has more to do with your lack than it has to do with God's richness. And if you could see the same thing, but in the perspective of God's richness and His love and living it out, man, it it, it looks totally different. And there's so many things through the Scriptures like that that it begins to open up a more complete understanding of what God is saying. Because so you think about you know, people that say, "Well, all I need is me and God." Well, yeah. If it's just you and God, well, you have a a, a knowledge maybe, but it's abstract. It, it, it's, it's of the abstract, the theoretical, because there's no physical application of it. That's why we require other people. We got to apply this thing. It needs some kind of manifestation in order for it to actually mean something. You know, people say all kinds of weird like theoretical things about God that there's no way that's ever been lived out. Ever. Because it can't be. And it's just not something that, that God has ever expected, something God's ever done, or any person that's actually lived for Him has ever even thought about. But people, man, they'll tell you, oh, this is what God expects. He really cares about that? I don't think so. People get all hung up on stuff because they're reading, you know, word for word, like this, 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 and this. Well, what about serving people, loving people, and growing in my love of God? I read that and it's like, I don't think that's a real big deal. At least not in the eyes of the God that I know. And maybe one time back then it was a big deal, but maybe not such a big deal now. This time, you know, there's times in the Bible in the in the New Testament where Paul says, "I say this, not the Holy Spirit." You, you ever know that he says that in his letters? Yeah, that's his opinion. All right, I hear that, but that ain't God speaking. I'm okay with that. Are we okay with that? Did Paul share an opinion about something and or share an opinion about the way things should be done in churches or, or whatever it is he was going to do there? Is my God big enough that maybe there's somebody that's going to share their opinion about how things should be done now too? Well, yeah. Yeah. But what was the important part of that? What was the important thing that God was saying? What was the important thing that God was showing us through that? What does love tell us? What does faith and action tell us about that? You know, people get hung up on all kinds of weird stuff. How to dress, how to talk. Who should talk, who shouldn't talk. Who should say this, who shouldn't say that. You know, I read those things and what I see in that is like, hey, you know, um, let's, let's have some patience with each other and let's have some respect for one another and let's love each other. And I bet you that goes a long way. To, to really bring us together and bring some understanding to the situation. And it does. It really does. Because that's more important than stuff people get hung up on. Because when you just look at it theoretically, or you just, it's just, you know, not, you're not actually living it out with people, and you're reading it, and it's like, oh, well, he definitely says that. Well, you ever tried that with anybody? No. No, that's easy to say then. It's easy to say because you never actually tried that out with anybody. You never actually tried to build anything with that. You never actually tried to see people's lives changed and people coming into the love of Jesus that way, have you? No. So you can argue about that. You can get all mad about it. That could be the most important thing in your life, but that ain't winning a lot of souls for Jesus. It's theoretically true to you, but practically inapplicable. So how would I read a passage like that? Not like you. Because I've got to live this out with people. And I'm going to live this out with people. And this is what it's going to look like. And this is what it's going to sound like. And this is what I believe God is doing. And I'm going to grow in the love of God. I'm going to grow deeper and deeper in the love of who He is, His patience, His kindness, His long-suffering. And then I'm going to tell you what I think that means. And it probably sounds a whole lot different than the person who's got nothing to do with anybody except for what's going on in their head. And I hope that kind of makes sense to you, because people they look at things like oh theory theory yeah okay that ain't how we live that ain't how Jesus is is moving in the world today. You know it's no mistake that Jesus describes and it's described you know all through the New Testament it's, it's, we're a living organism we're His body, and it's no mistake that we're His body we're not. Uh, we're, we're not a computer. We're not repeating just repeating things that we've been told. But we're actually living, and we're interacting with the world around us. We're an organism. We grow. Sometimes we're a little sick. Sometimes we're healthy. Sometimes we're stronger. Sometimes we're weaker. Yeah, we're we're a living thing, biological, organic thing. And that's what we're being described as. And, and a, a biological, organic thing interacts with its environment, has to interact with its environment, and grows and becomes and changes and adapts and does what all organisms do. Well, let's live like that. Let's live like a, a living body. Let's live like an organism. Not like a machine. You know, it's a, it a big deal. You know, we went through this age where everything just got made into a machine. Everything became mechanical. Everything. Back in the 80s, I was in school and we were using a theory of communication. And I was studying communication at the time. We were using a theory of communication and because they wanted everything to be a science. And if everything's going to be a science, then it's got to be mechanical. So we're going to take communication and we're going to make it mechanical. Alright, so how are we going to describe communication? I'm going to talk to you so we've got, we got two people talking. You've got a sender and a receiver. I'm not talking about a radio. I'm talking about two people. So you've got the sender and the receiver. You've got the message that goes between them. Now, if you look at that and you say, okay, you've got a sender, receiver, you've got a message, and sometimes there's misunderstanding, right? There's, there's misunderstanding between the two. All right, so then you factor in a little bit of interference. All right, and so you've got this really mechanical view of how people communicate, but that's not really how people communicate. It's not mechanical at all. and And even though it's convenient to put it into those terms because we like to make everything mechanical, that really isn't something that really describes what's actually happening. I had a professor that was he was somewhat of a he had been a, a Catholic priest. And it was a night class I was taking. I think they only let him teach at night. But he, uh, he's weird, weird guy. He wrote his own book because nobody could explain what he wanted to talk about. better than he could. And, uh, and he had this mystical view, and, and it was his class and I'm going to I'll, I'll let the cow out of the back it was his class that convinced me to go and study communication. And he would stand up there for two and a half hours because it was a one night a week class, and I couldn't I mean, I never fell asleep in his class, an evening class, never. I mean, it's after dinner. I mean, it's prime time to take a nap. but he was so interesting, and I, I just could not and I mean, it was a lecture hall full of kids that were just sitting there staring, and he was fascinating, fascinating for two and a half hours. And so he described this theory of communication. I'm not going to get too far into it because I need to write it on a board. I don't even know if I can make you understand it. But he he described, say, I'm a person. I'm going to communicate. So he drew a, a circle. And he said, all right, so then you got another person. They're going to enter into a, a dialogue with that person. So you got two people. You've got two circles here. And so as they talk and as they share, verbal, nonverbal, however you want to look at it, but as they're sharing information, the, the two circles come into contact with another and cross over each other, so it would be like a Venn diagram. And so he he took the where the two things crossed, and he he described that as a spiritual child, which is the idea that's shared between the two of them. And so his point was is that I've got my idea of what I'm trying to tell you. You've got your ideas all in your head about how and in, in what you think, and so you're hearing what I'm saying. Now what I'm saying, what you're hearing, the way we're interpreting each other, isn't the same thing. It's just not. There are just certain elements that are going to be the same. And so based on whatever elements that are going to be the same, meaning is drawn from that. So the reason that's important is because it it teaches us, and what I learned from that, is that the, the problem isn't my message and interference. Because I've got to take into account where you're coming from. I've got to take into account your past. I've got to take into account your experiences. I've got to take into account your feelings, your thoughts, things that you know, things that you don't know. I've got to take all those things into account, and I'm going to say what I'm going to say, but can I say it in such a way that's going to make more sense to you? All right? And that's more than just a message cut and dried as clear as I can make it, and they're definitely going to receive it. Because that's not what happens. I can can craft a perfectly logical message using exact words and say exactly what I want to say with the exact idea that that I have and I want to communicate that to you and I can say it clearly and concisely and you still may not understand what I'm trying to say. Even if I had the perfect message. Because I've got to take into account where you're coming from. And you're going to give me feedback or you're going to give me whatever it is you want to talk about, whatever's coming from your life, and there's going to be something that's made. That's going to be made between the two of us. And so every person in here that I'm talking to, when you're hearing me right now, you're hearing something... And, and we're forming a little bit something different. All right? That words I'm using, we're, you're, what you're, we're forming is me and Gene are forming is a little bit different than what me and Sid are forming. And I know that. But that assists me and be more effective at what I'm doing. We're living. We're organisms. We're organic. And so spiritually, we have been called to, described as, and sent forth as His body. And so if we're going to be effective in what we're going to do, we can't look at it as just simply a transaction. Or simply a mechanical thing that happens. Because it's not. There has to be something that's shared. And so, when it comes to the Gospel, if we're going to share our faith, which is what this passage is about, if we're going to share our faith, then that means that it's something that we're going to experience together. Which means it's got to get outside of me somehow. And it's got to affect you somehow. And I hope you understand what I'm saying because that, that's really the heart of what I'm getting at is that you can say you have faith. You can say, i got all this faith, but it's got to get out of you somehow. And you've got to share that with the person that you're trying to share. In other words, they've got to experience something that they can look at, that they can feel, that they can touch something that they can share if they're going to ever have any hope have taken hold of that same faith. It's got to get out. And and you can say, well, I'll just tell them about it. If we were machines, that would make sense, but that's not, we're not. Well, I'll do it in such a way they they can't refute it. And yeah, you're missing the point. We already covered that. We already covered that. You have the perfect me- Craft the perfect message still won't work. Not necessarily. See, that faith's got to get out. But it's going to get out through loving people and serving people and caring about people and listening to people and letting people know that's how faith gets out of us. That's how we put people in in a position we enable them to share in that faith with us is when it gets out of us. So we need each other. We need each other. So every good thing this this passage talks about, every good thing, well, there's only one good thing, and that's God. And we can argue about it, but the truth of the matter is God is good and that's it. Everything we think is good, Whatever. Matter of opinion. God defines good. He is good. He says what's good. He tells us what's good. Things that we think are good may not be good if God says they're not. We may think that we have the best idea in the world it may be terrible if God says, it's it. He says it is. And so we allow Him to define that. But if we're going to share that We have to show that in Christ. Because that has to manifest in our lives and the lives of the other people around us. Philemon's house, as I said before, it was the center of Christian life in that area of fellowship. A fellowship. There are two things equally important that I'm talking about tonight. One is the knowledge of God, but the other is the knowledge of others. and One of those is not more important than the other. They work together. And they're dependent on one another. And so we need, if we're going to be in Christ, we need to be in love. And so that love growing, deepening in that love is something that manifests out of that faith of action. So, that's the practice. That's the practice. So I'll give you an opportunity to uh, let, the, let the Holy Spirit kind of apply this somehow for you. And I don't know what He might be saying to you tonight or how He may want to apply this, but I want to encourage you to just let that happen. Be open to what the Holy Spirit may want to do. I don't want to just be about talking. And I know I sit here and talk for an hour, but and I talk on Sundays, and I get paid to talk. But I don't want to be just about talking. That there needs to be something that has to mean something. So I'll give you a little secret. If all I ever did was talk, no one would listen to me. Because that's just how it works. You can be the best talker, but if there ain't anything that actually translates into action, nobody listens. Nobody cares. They'll listen for a little while, but it won't do anything. And I know there's guys that they preach every Sunday. People show up and they listen, or they hear, or they sit there, to check off a box or whatever, but not really about that. And so, I really want you to see what the Holy Spirit would say to you about putting something into action. Letting your faith out. It's got to come out. And see what He might lead you into tonight. So Father, I pray for us and I just ask that Your Holy Spirit would speak uh, so that our faith, I I just pray our faith comes out. That it's not just about ideas or theories, but that really whatever faith is in us would manifest. Whatever faith is in us would get somehow on the outside in people's lives. I just pray that we'll be a people that would be all about it. Would we'll be all about actually living it out. Uh, you talk about forgiveness. Well, the concept of forgiveness is awesome. We've been forgiven. I pray, God, we forgive people. God, uh, you, you talk about patience. You're so patient with us. Thanks a lot. But I pray we'd be patient with people around us. Mercy is so good. Thank you for your mercy, God. You show mercy to us all the time. I I pray we'd be merciful. Yeah. Grace. Yeah, I pray we'd show grace, live in grace, be grace. Hmm. let's pray it gets on the outside and i and I ask you that we'd really deepen in love, and I pray for your love to get deep in us and grow more I I just want to know more your love I want to I want to get deeper into your love I want to I want to know what it is to to live and to to just be submerged in that kind of love your love's so big I mean we can never see the end of it we can never see it even as as hard as we look we can see into your love so I just want to know more I, want, yeah. I, I want to, know more. to live more. Yeah. more Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just just pray it wouldn't be enough to talk about it. But we live it, be it. Just thank you for the opportunity all around us to do that. I pray we'd uh, enter in. We'd enter in. Hmm. Give you thanks tonight. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for showing us the way. Thanks for showing us what it means to love people. What it means to serve people. What it means to live in community with people. What it means to care about people. Thanks. That's us pray we get about it. Thanks. As these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks nice for coming. UCF and Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you uh-huh. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Well, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mhm. Yeah. As an afterwards of Chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCS continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know that's our hood. Mhm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we we homies. Yeah.